BAM Radio Network. Historically, this notion has been much abused. I was just reading a book, and they had it worked out that some children at the age of six simply didn't have the visual acuity to learn phonics, and some kids didn't have the auditory discrimination to hear sounds, and a third group of students, this is six-year-olds now, did not have the life experience to understand what a story was about, and the education establishment used this complete nonsense. Hi, welcome to Body, Mind, and Child with Ray Pika. Welcome to you, Bruce, Harvey, Deborah. Bruce, for many years, we in education have heard about learning styles or modalities. Some children are kinesthetic learners, some auditory, others visual, etc. But you're not a fan of the learning styles theory, and I know you're not the only one. Why do you take that position? I think I got into it through reading. As I was studying early reading things and why kids couldn't read and the whole word and all of the phonics things, probably most people know about the reading was. Well, er, very early, by 1950, the educators had come up with this reading readiness as an excuse for why kids couldn't learn to read. Well, I think it was totally bogus, but I think they got used to the idea that you could blame things on the children. One of my heroes is Sigrid Engelman. He says, if kids aren't learning, it's never the kid's fault. and It's rarely the teacher's fault. It's usually the school has adopted some bad methods. And in the case of teaching kids to read with whole words and sight words, that's a bad method. Kids weren't learning to read. And there were, you know, all the problems. I, I could go on for days on that because that's one of my specialties. All righty. Harvey, you're, you're the author of a book about learning styles. So you are a believer. Tell us why you think learning styles are real. Well, the first thing is, is that modalities is not the only way to look at style and to look at differences. I think what we recognize is is that the more you integrate a variety of modalities, visual, auditory, kinesthetic, the more effective your instructional method is going to be. And part of good teaching is matching what we do instructionally to students' needs, to students' interests, and also how they input and process information. Every teacher recognizes that there's differences in their classroom. And the more they can respond to those differences, the more they're going to be successful. The second thing, the more teachers understand differences in style, the more they're open to using a variety of instructional practices and a variety of instructional models. I think a style map, whether it be multiple intelligence or be one like our own, really provides teachers with a framework for looking at differences, for having a better understanding of differences and selecting those strategies and techniques that might best not only match, but also challenge students to learn in different ways. Okay, so when you say how children input and process information, you're saying that some do indeed process it through the ears, some through the eyes, some through the fingertips. I disagree with that. I think that ways in which we get input, but some people process information more in our approach, what I would call a step-by-step approach. They're much more sequential. They pay much more attention to what I would say is sensing. They need to see it, touch it, taste it, and smell it, and process it more with thinking, which is a more logical, analytical, step-by-step approach. Others are more intuitive. They tend to see patterns and possibilities, what could be, what might be, but also process that information with thinking. And we call that the first learner, we call a mastery learner, the second learner, an understanding learner. The third is much more what we call self-expressive. They're intuitive, but process information more by feeling and affect rather than by logic. 
And the fourth is an interpersonal learner that tends to learn much more by sensing and by feeling and by making personal connections with the content. Now, everybody is all four, but as a result of inheritance and environment, we develop preferences and have a, a kind of profile that this map can help us better understand. And all four of those styles of learners use all of the modalities to learn well. All right. Are you familiar with the recent studies showing that there's no evidence that learning styles are real? And if so, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the evidence of that uh, was done by research by Pashler. And again, they looked at very few studies and they basically looked at modality and their notion was uh, matching. What our research demonstrates significantly is that the more teachers understand styles, the more they use a variety of approaches of instruction, that understanding one's learning style enhances one's self-concept, the ability to be more motivated and engaged in the classroom, and it shows up in terms of uh, student performance on test scores and their engagement in instruction in the classroom. Okay. Bruce, I know that if someone reads crochet instructions to me, I'm not going to understand a word of them because I just can't listen that intently. If I see them myself, they begin to make sense to me. But if I'm actually doing the crocheting while I'm reading the instructions, then I've got it. So it would appear I'm more of a visual learner than an auditory one, but a kinesthetic learner most of all. So I'm wondering if you can envision that teaching to my strengths or to a child's strengths would be helpful. We're so brilliant. I mean, the human brain is so brilliant. It's got all these things going on at once. And I, mean, Harvey's, I like when Harvey's talking about doing lots of different things at once and mixing things up. That's great. I'm not going to argue over any of that. It's only when you start pushing this idea that this kid is a visual learner, therefore this kid has to be appealed to that way, and we start leaving the other things out. I'm very, very suspicious of that. Like, for example, I'm an extremely visual learner. I'm an artist. But I wish they'd given a little more attention to my auditory stuff. Maybe I'd actually sing a little better, you know? I mean, maybe I'd have a little better pitch. I met a woman in New York years ago who told me she could teach me to sing, and I said, not me. And she said, no, I can't. And so it's always stayed in my mind that he was a, if she had been my teacher, she would have maybe made me more musical, more auditory. And so anyway, I don't like the idea of limiting people to one thing, but as long as you're talking about mixing it up, and like in your case, you mentioned the three different ways you would learn something, of course you should do all three of those things. More or less simultaneous, as fast the students can handle it. I mean, everything should be taught with a picture up on the wall, and then you point to the picture, and then you describe it, and then you talk about it, and then you get the kids to go and act it out. I mean, that is almost common sense to me. Okay. Deborah, what have you witnessed in early childhood classrooms? Have you seen evidence that children possess different uh, learning styles they learn best with through the ears, through the eyes, et cetera? I don't know. In my own experience, if you can look at a child and say, you are definitely a visual learner, especially from infant up to kindergarten, and that's where I'm familiar with, I just don't see how you can look at them and know that that is the only type of learning style that they have, and that's their strength. You know, that may just be my lack of experience, but instead, you just need to assume that they need to have every kind of experience so that they can process it in their own way. Harvey, how does a teacher manage multiple learning styles in one classroom? One of the things that I often ask teachers, how many of you want some of your students to remember some of the things that you present? Everyone quickly raises their hand affirmatively. One of the things that we've learned is, is that if you want to increase retention of what's taught, you need sufficient repetition, but you also need sufficient variation and depth of thought 
what we call RVD, repetition, variation, depth of thought. So if a teacher understands that we need to repeat things numerous times and we need to vary how we're providing the instruction, from direct instruction, from inquiry to cooperative learning to creative expression, and the more we use those four styles, the greater we get variation and also the greater we get depth of thought. But now we all face children who are not successful when we teach it the first or even the second time. So the question is, is that how do we respond to students who are not succeeding, who are underachievers or even, in fact, low achievers? And underachievement is often a motivational issue. And low achievement might be students who desire uh, are working hard but not achieving. Do you teach it louder or longer, or do you look to seek a different method? How do you begin to choose a different method? I think teachers need to be good student watchers. They need to watch the way students process information. They need to look at the products that they demonstrate. And you need a map or a framework to look at those differences, which helps you make some hypothesis about how students learn. So, Bruce, are learning styles real? I want to go back to what I said at the beginning. Historically, this notion has been much abused. I was just reading a book, and they had it worked out that some children at the age of six simply didn't have the visual acuity to learn phonics, and some kids didn't have the auditory discrimination to hear sounds, and a third group of students, this is six-year-olds now, did not have the life experience to understand what a story was about, and the education establishment used this complete nonsense to justify letting the kids go on to seven or eight to take the pressure off the school system from making these kids learn to read. And it's actually, it was all written up. It was formalized. Children simply can't see those little letters. And the other children can't hear those little rhymes like hickory dickory dock, you know, whatever it is. They actually had this formalized. Man, it's a wall. How do you get through this if all the educators are saying these kids cannot possibly learn to read? Therefore, hey, just let them sit there in their desk and look at pictures. Can I just say one last thing? One thing I've talked about a lot to people is that when I was in the Army, and it stays in my mind many years later, they would take all these guys that have nothing in common, different education, personalities. You can't imagine so many differences. They would put them in the bleachers, say, this is the way you do something. Do it like this. People would do it, and boom, we got it. We went on. It's not, most things people are learning are not that complicated. Deborah. This is what I understand. I believe from what I'm listening to, are there are definitely different types of learning styles. I mean, from my understanding. And each of these learning styles begin to emerge as children grow and get older. And some of them will emerge very plainly, maybe early on and maybe not. But learning styles and learning preferences as we get older tends to be a little bit more visible. However, If we begin to worry so much about learning styles and in early childhood, what we have to do is understand that the learning styles may exist, but our role is not to sit here and worry so much about learning styles and teach to that style. Our role is to make sure that we are teaching in a broad spectrum, in a broad way, so that we are sensitive to the fact that there may be different learning styles going on and at the same time, giving them opportunity to learn from other ways and other ways and other opportunities so they can build all spectrums of learning styles. So we don't want to say, yes, there's learning styles, and we begin to teach to that style and say, well, for this child, I need to always do it visually, because that perhaps that may not be fair to that child to be so narrow-minded that early on in life and present a lot of visual, present a lot of kinesthetic, present the different types of styles through your teaching methods, so therefore you begin to 
allow all the different types of learning to take place, and you've not necessarily narrowed it down to saying, this child, I only want to present it this way to this child. Got it. And Harvey, are learning styles real? Well, I want to be clear that when we talk about learning styles, we're not talking about modalities, auditory, visual, and kinesthetic. And yet that's how most early childhood professionals do think of learning styles. Right. And unfortunately, I think there has been a great deal of disservice done when we believe that students only learn in one way and therefore we can only provide them instruction and also they're limited with their ability. When we talk about style, we talk about teaching to, with, and about. When you teach with style in mind, what you really is you're using a variety of strategies and approaches because you want to support how students learn best, but you also want to challenge them to learn in other ways, and that really enhances learning. A teaching to model is a more personal model of instruction, and there are kids who are underachieving. There are kids who are less motivated, less engaged, and if you can begin to figure out what works for them, that's an important move, and instead of teaching it louder and longer, Uh, You're trying to be more responsive to who they are and how they process information. And the last thing is really teaching kids about differences and how differences work and helping them to better understand who they are and how they can make better decisions. Is learning styles real? Are talents real? Do people have different talents? Does everybody have the same abilities in everything that we do? Ask any parent who has more than one child and ask them if they pay attention to different things, if they exhibit the same patterns. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your input on this. I think that most of my listeners had the same, perhaps narrow view of learning styles that I did. And I hope that, like me, this show has broadened their perspective. So thank you very much for being here. You've been listening to Body, Mind, and Child with Ray Pika. This program is produced by Jack Street Media as part of the Affiliate Nanocasting Network. Thanks for listening.